Thank you, Lucy. Um, if you can keep your Bibles open to First John chapter 2, that'd be great. And the reason why we do that is because, um, you know, as a sermon, a sermon shouldn't be some of my best thoughts or some of other people's best thoughts. Really, sermons should be spoken from God's Word, the Scripture, the Bible. And so we want you to have it open, and as you go through, we want you to check to see if what I'm saying is really from the Scripture. Uh, that, that only that God will speak um, through this. But let's pray that God will speak now as we come to this text. Lord, we give you great thanks that you are a speaking God, and we thank you that your um, words uh, will have, have the power to change our lives, uh, to build us up, to break us down when we need to. And Lord, we pray that your powerful words and only your words will be spoken and heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recently saw on Facebook um, this hashtag, shut up and go love. Now, for those of you who don't know what a hashtag is, it doesn't mean that you're uncool. It probably does mean that you're old. I'm sorry. It's just a social media thing. That was a very bad way to start. I alienated half of the congregation here. I'm sorry. But... Uh, shut up and go love, it says. Um, and there's a lot of talk about love in, in, in this letter, in, in, in John's letter. And a, a couple of w- weeks ago, we talked about how love is the defining mark of the Christian. Christians love. This is how you know that, 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 um, that you are Christian. And that love bit, obviously, was fine. I was fine with it. But I wasn't really sure about this shut up bit. Uh, because shut up a bit didn't w- jive well with me because it, I thought this was maybe just another way of saying truth doesn't matter. Speaking of truth, talking about the truth does not matter. It doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you are a good person. Uh, in this case, as long as you love. It seemed like a, maybe another way of saying something like that. The world tells us that we shouldn't speak about the truth. In fact, the culture tells us that there is no absolute truth, that truth is all relative. If you've done um, humanities uh, anytime uh, recently, um, the academia tells us, tells the students that truth claims are really not truth claims at all. They're, They're really power claims. They're made not because they're true, but because people who hold power want to retain their power or gain power. I learned in my seminary education, this is a horrible thing to learn, but I learned that there are many people who believe that, um, that, that, uh, that believe that even if there is truth, uh, that uh, human beings don't have access to it. You can't know it. So really, the only, the intellectually honest thing to do is to be an agnostic, to say, actually, I don't know. I don't know what I believe in, really, to remain undecided. That's what the culture tells us. That's what the universities teach the students these days. The culture tells us that no one has claim on the truth. We must simply stand in awe, maybe, of this mystical power that is God, if God exists. And we shouldn't speak, and we shouldn't attempt to speak of this God at all. So does articulating the truth matter, or should we really just shut up and go and love? And really, I think it's amazing how countercultural John is, not only countercultural in that setting 2,000 years ago, but in this time as well. The Apostle John tells us that truth matters. What we believe matters. Take a look at verse 24. He says, As for you, 
See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Father, in the Son and the Father. John is saying that there is a deposit of truth that has been handed over, that has been taught from the beginning. This is the truth that the apostles taught. It doesn't matter what we have, we might have experienced since then, what we might have learned since then. It's important to, uh, for us to remain in the truth that was taught from the beginning. You see, what John is saying is that Christian message essentially is conservative. Not in the political sense. This isn't about the Republican Party in the U.S. or whatever your uh, allegiance is. But historical sense, we are a people, we're not a people who are seeking more and more uh, new and newer revelation from God. New experiences of God. We have received the truth that the Old Testament pointed to forwarded, forward, and New Testament writers, apostles, recorded as they looked back. This is the truth in which we must remain. And this is the truth, also this text says, that the Spirit teaches. We often associate the Holy Spirit with a certain experience of God, speaking in tongue or inner healing or times of extraordinary closeness with God. But John talks here about teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. And later on in verse 27, And as for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you all things, and that, as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. You see how John equates um, the, the, the Holy Spirit with his teaching ministry. And the Spirit teaches us. And of course, I don't think here it's a little bit confusing, but it doesn't mean that we don't need any human teachers. It can't possibly mean that when John himself is writing this letter to teach this church, right? But it does mean um, that, uh, uh, that the Spirit... Uh, we, uh, uh, sorry. We also know that the Holy Spirit makes people teachers. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to make people teachers of his word. But what John must mean that as the, is that at the core of the Spirit's teaching, it's something that is obvious to all Christians who have received the Spirit, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us that truth, and you don't need any more people to teach you this because you know this. You know it when you receive the truth. And see, this is the teaching that the Holy Spirit t- teaches now. He puts it in the present tense, but as his anointing teaches you, right? So that's what he's teaching now. But it also looks back to what he has taught later on in verse 27 about all the things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just it has taught you. We think, once again, often of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us new information, like the date of the second coming, the name of the person that you might want to marry, you might want to marry, But the primary role of the Holy Spirit is actually to point us back to the truth that we already know. The truth that he has already taught us. His teaching ministry is also essentially conservative. It teaches us the truth that we already know, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the truth that he reveals to us again and again and again and again. And he allows us to remain in that truth. 
So the apostles taught it from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit teaches it, teaches it as it has taught. The church, too, has been teaching it for centuries. So John says, whoever leaves the church, making this an issue, does not remain in the Father, in verse 19. Or they would have remained in the church. And once again, this isn't so much about church membership. Really, this is about the teachings of the church. That Jesus is the Christ. If you do not agree, and as you leave, you don't remain in the Father. Paul will say um, to Timothy, guard the good deposit. Guard the, de- uh, the good deposit. John puts it this way, remain in the truth. I don't know about you, but I am, um, I, I think there are many, many people like this in this church. Uh, many of you are educators, university professors. I, there are lots and lots of people like me who are intellectually curious. And we're constantly looking to learn new things. So I continue reading books, Christian uh, books and non-Christian books, looking for, in some ways, next fix of intellectual high. (laughs) And it's okay if the truth that we find is a new way of looking at the old truth that God has revealed to us. But Christianity is not about discovering new truths, new revelations. It's about guarding the good deposit It's about remaining in that truth, and it's in growing in depth of knowledge of that truth. It might not be new truths, but some of us might be looking for new experiences, going from one conference to another conference. But the Spirit's role, once again, is to teach us not just new, not not new teachings, not new experiences, but teach us to experience that same truth that we have heard again from the very beginning that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again to rescue us. And as I'm thinking about this, I I was reminded of um, G.K. Chesterton's book. Um, It's a great book, really. It's a difficult read, but it's a great book uh, called Orthodoxy. There he talks about, he's got a chapter called Romance of Orthodoxy. How exciting this old truth, these old truths are. He said that he tried to discover new truths by going out of the church. He thought that he discovered new truths, but then when he had finished with all the work of careful thinking and pruning his thoughts, he said he arrived back to what the church has been teaching all along. So this is what he says. I try to be some 10 minutes um, in advance of the truth, and I found that I was 1,800 years behind it. When I fancied that I stood alone, I was really in the ridiculous position of being backed up by all Christendom. It may be, heaven forgive me, that I did try to be original, but I only succeeded in inventing all by myself an inferior copy of the existing traditions of Christianity. I did try to found a heresy of my own, but when I had, and when I had put the last touches to it, I discovered that it was orthodoxy. There is romance in orthodoxy, Chesterton says. There is this adventure of orthodoxy, as he puts it. There is adventure in discovering the paradoxes of the Christian faith, the inconceivable notion of the Trinity. 
in the, in the mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully man, you will grow in depth and knowledge and love of those things as you grow in your faith. It's not about discovering new truths. It's about growing in that knowledge that you have received, that you know from the very beginning because the Holy Spirit has taught you these truths from the beginning. You will grow to love Jesus more and more through these old truths throughout your lives as you grow. Remain, remain in this truth. There need not be the ceaseless desire for new things, for truth that we have from the beginning is the one that will satisfy us, not just now, but for eternity. But, but there is that desire in us, as there were 2,000 years ago, and there are many who seek to lead us astray from the truth that we've received. So, John writes in verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are leading, who are trying to lead you astray. And John calls these people antichrists in verse 18. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how, how we know that this is the last hour. John is the only biblical writer who uses the word Antichrist, but the concept is found in other places. Um, Daniel, book of Daniel, a long time ago, prophesied uh, about the time of intense persecution um, when the one who opposes the, the anointed one um, will cause the abomination that causes desolation of the temple. Paul taught uh, that there would be a man of lawlessness who would persecute Christians, who would act in great power to uh, deceive the saints. And he would be, um, in uh, John Stott's words, a diabolical parody of Christ, somebody who uh, replaces Christ, uh, somebody who seeks to replace Christ. So John here is um, talking about, John's not really talking about that Antichrist, but many antichrists, as he says. This is the last hour, which John uses synonymously with the last days of the New Testament. It's the time period between the Pentecost and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that time will be filled with many antichrists, he says. And that's how we know. And that many antichrists will culminate in coming of the antichrist. But here the prefix anti isn't so much sort of instead of, but it's against. People who oppose, people who are against Christ. They're not substitutes, but opponents, enemies of Christ. So who are they? Well, in verse 19, John tells us that there are people who have left uh, the church at the time. But we know them chiefly through their denial, through their lie. So verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And this isn't about uh, disagreements about sort of secondary doctrinal matters, about you know, infant baptism or uh, what role of the free will, sanctification, role of women in ministry. This is about the core of Christianity, core, at the core of Christianity, about Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And wrapped up, wrapped up in that claim is that claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And often they are paired up together. You are the Christ, Son of God, Son of the living God, uh, Peter uh, proclaimed in, in, in Matthew 16, 16. God who became man so that he would save us from our sins. And to teach that Jesus is not Christ, to deny that Jesus is, is, uh, is the Christ, in John Stott's words, is not just defective, 
It is diabolical. I just love the, how he uses that word. It's not just defective. It's not just wrong teaching. It's diabol- diabolical. It's from the evil one. It's from the devil. Um, a theology that denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who came to rescue us from our sins, is not just mistaken, is of the devil. Unitarians, Jehovah's Witness, who deny the full divinity of Christ. Mormons who do not believe in the Trinity or the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Muslims who treat Jesus as a prophet, one among many prophets. Richard Dawkins, uh, who oppose Christ uh, vocally, very loudly, someone who, uh, through his teaching. They're political leaders against Christ. Sudan in North Korea, their teachings, insofar as they oppose Christ, are anti-Christs. They are anti-Christ in that, in their teaching. And I don't mean to say, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to say that uh, there aren't good people there, that their teachings are all bad. I don't mean to say that. There are good teachings there as well, wisdom that's found in their religion, in the best of the uh, uh, secular teachings as well. But Christians do not believe that all roads lead to the same God. We are a people who believe in the truth that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we must watch out for this false teaching, for these antichrists, because there are those who are trying to lead us astray even now. We're not safe. But if you're thinking to yourself right now, well, but the core of Christian faith, that Jesus is the, is the Christ, I'll never deny that. That just seems like too far. That, that's the that's truth that I will hold on dearly for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm safe in that. But as we're talking about this, um, Reese said very wisely, but no one becomes a heretic overnight. No one becomes a heretic overnight today. We don't. That's why we must watch out. It might happen in all sorts of ways. It might begin with people saying, well, the Bible is teaching on sex. Bible is teaching on homosexuality. Well, that's outdated. Bible's teaching on women is outdated. It might then move into the whole-scale doubt of the Bible's authority at all. It's only then that person goes on to thinking, well, maybe Jesus isn't actually son of God. Maybe then he was a great teacher. It's a whole process, isn't it? Um, it might happen in, in, in many other ways. We must be on the watch, as he says. And this is why John wrote this letter. I mean, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, remember that poetic section that he has there? I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known, known him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And he repeats it again. To children, because your sins have been forgiven. To the fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. To the young men, because they have come, overcome the evil one. You see, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the children of God, to the fathers, to the wise people who have grown in their faith, to the young men, because they have overcome the evil one. But John still writes, watch out. Watch out, because the false teaching is deceptive. Be on guard. Be on guard, he writes. And at this time, I think, of our culture, it is especially difficult 
because that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, uh, Son of God, the only way to the Father is not the most popular thing to hold on to. It just seems so exclusive, terribly arrogant, and something that is uncomfortable to modern ears. But that is at the core of the Christian message. And I think if we really see the alternative, if we examine the alternative, I really don't think it's much better. Since any truth claim is an exclusive claim, to say that there's no absolute truth is a truth claim in and of itself. How do you know that there's no absolute truth? How do you know that? Aren't you claiming that that is the absolute truth? It seems to me that the Christian claim, if we examine that claim, is of, it's one of the most inclusive claims of all. We believe that Jesus Christ died for all people, all of humankind, the good and the bad, male or female, Chinese or a Brit or Korean, whatever it is, it includes all. All that is required is faith in Jesus Christ. I was recently talking to a person who went to a synagogue in Hong Kong and how that person just felt left out because um, Judaism is for the special chosen people of God, Israelites. If you go to a mosque, it will leave most of the non-Arabs out. But actually, Islam isn't, that's perhaps being uh, unfair, because Islam isn't actually a particularly ethnocentric religion, um, although Arabic is, uh, for them, a divine language. But still, like most religions, Islam, I think, will leave the bad people out. Uh, there's little room for mercy, because it's ultimately religion that says only the good will go into heaven. And even then, it's iffy. In fact, all other religions other than Christianity says that in the end, you have to be good in order to be saved. It leaves all the bad people out. It leaves all the people who are struggling with their sin. It leaves all the people who have done bad things in their lives. You see how Jesus includes all people. And this church is an evidence of that. There are Chinese, there are Kiwis and Brits, rich, poor, Americans, Aussies, young, old, educated, uneducated. There are those people who really live the saintly life here in this church. And there are people who are really struggling with their sins even now. But we all come together and we all become brothers and sisters of Christ because in faith, God makes us one. God gives us his salvation through grace alone because Jesus is Savior of all. We can and we should be humble and meek about our ideas, ideas that we hold dear. Well, we should be open and we should be open to changes. But we cannot compromise on the truth that has been revealed to us, that has been deposited to us, that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, who died to save us from God's wrath, who rose, in, who rose again to give us new life. This is of first importance, Paul will say in Second Corinthians 15, of first importance. Why? Why do we make such a big fuss over this? Look at what John says in verse 23. No one who denies the Son, has the Father. No one who denies that Jesus Christ has the Father. Even if 
they are a really, really good person. Even if that, ha- that person has been educated in the best places, even if they had, 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 had tried to live their be- lives in the best way possible, how, no matter how nice and just and merciful, righteous they are, if you deny the Son, you do not have the Father. If you deny the Son, you do not have the Father. And then John says in verse 25, this is a matter of eternal life. Eternal life is promised to those who remain in this truth. Knowing God is at stake. Stake is too high. Eternal life is at stake. Life lived well and entire life wasted in this life. That's at stake. I know this is an unpopular view. But we must hold on to this because this is about life. Life is at stake. And not only do we hold on to it, we must tell others about it. You know, we will focus on loving each other a lot. And in the, gospel, uh, in the first John, uh, John will tell us to love each other again and again. Five times, um, it says. But um, we must, it's not just about loving each other here. We must tell others about the truth um, that God has given us. We're not in the business of growing uh, the church at all cost. The growing church, are even around, uh, around love, that's not what we're about. What we're about is growing in the truth of Jesus Christ together. Under the lordship, confession of lordship of Jesus Christ over our life together. That's what we're about. And as we stand under the lordship of Christ, we learn to love each other. And some will likely leave as we insist on this truth together, as they did back then, 2,000 years ago in verse 19. They left the church because they did not like this truth. And I know this will make some people uncomfortable to claim that truth, um, there is truth that will not change, that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. He's the only Savior that God has sent for this world. But this is the truth that the apostles taught This is the truth that the Holy Spirit teaches now as it has taught. This is the truth that the church has taught throughout the history. And this is the truth, one worth telling others about, worth even dying about. And this is the truth that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. It's the truth that you will grow um, into more and more. You will see this truth in in many, many different light. Throughout your life, you will grow to love in this truth. And as you remain in this truth, God will give you eternal life as he has already given. Let's pray.